If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians this morning. So uh, if you come in late or you're not really sure what D-Now is, the youth experienced their D-Now, which is Disciple Now weekend. They got to enjoy that this weekend. And those of you that can remember Jared Howard, who was here a while back, a pastoral intern, he, got, he uh, came in this weekend and preached about the kingdom. And so that's why I'm wearing this shirt. That's what all the students are wearing. And anytime, any chance I get to preach in a t-shirt, I'm all for that. So um, I, uh, I got the t-shirt on today. And um, I know that Jared uh, preached to them about the kingdom and they've studied this weekend about the kingdom and that God has done some incredible things in their lives. And it'd be great for you to ask them, particularly parents, but I'll give you a word of caution. I'm not sure what happened, but when Kurt said, hey, we're going to watch this video, there was a group of girls right over here on the second row that went, oh, snap. <laughs> so I'm not sure what video they were expecting us to show, but apparently something happened. And uh, I want to know what that story is. So I know they had a great time, a fun time, lots of, of fun and interacting together being built up into the kingdom. So you be sure and talk to them. It's really a great segue. And I think their last session was about the mission of the kingdom. And we started talking last week in First Thessalonians about Paul as the disciple maker. And as, as we, the children of God, who have been called into salvation with God, that he has uh, then commissioned us. We know Matthew uh, 28, the great commission, but we see it in the life of Paul, particularly here in the Thessalonians in the beginning of this book, this letter, where he tells them, hey, we came to you and we lived our lives and shared the gospel with you and it had an effect in your lives and you guys got saved and we've heard that you guys are living out the gospel because other people are telling us about the influence that you've had on them and that's discipleship, that's disciple making, that's people who say, man, Jesus has radically changed my life and I'm going to live that out and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to share in such a way that's going to influence other people that maybe they might come into the kingdom and then they can live their lives so that other people can come into the kingdom and that's disciple making and that's what we talked about last week, the call for us all as children of God, because of what God has done in us, because of the nature of salvation, that God would have rescued us through Jesus Christ, understanding that we were not in the kingdom, we were enemies of the kingdom. We were not in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we were enemies, we were against God. Now I know some of you are like, Tim, I was in church since before I was born and I've been loving Jesus forever and that's awesome. But before you decided in yourself to say, yes, I want to live for the glory of God, you as a kid, before that, as a child or a baby, maybe you came to faith later, but even as as a child, you were in rebellion towards the Lord. That's easy for us who have kids to understand, right? Like we've had kids. I mean, I love my children and they're great and wonderful, but sometimes the rebellion comes out in them, right? I I don't have to teach them that, although I can be a little rebellious myself, certainly. I didn't have to teach them that. That's just who they were. The Bible says we were all, we were all born this way. We were born into it. We were enemies of the kingdom of God, but God being rich in mercy since Jesus and he intersects our lives and he rescues us from the death and the penalty of death that we deserved. We saw last week that he rescues us from the wrath of of God. He rescues us from his own wrath so that now you and I don't have to experience that wrath as the enemies of God. We're brought in as the children of God. We're brought into the kingdom of God and now we live for his glory. 
That's what God has done for us. So we start talking about the natural outflow of that, like Paul and, and other people in the Bible, is that they would make disciples. You start living out this faith. You can't be saved. You can't be radically embraced and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand that you've been rescued from being an enemy to now being in the kingdom and then just sit there and do nothing. That is incongruent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he has saved you, then at the very least, you're wrestling and struggling with a heart that wants to tell other people and share and and, and be with people in such a way that they might get to see and experience Jesus Christ for themselves. That they too might be saved and brought into the kingdom. We talked about that last week. And I just want to be really clear when I, what I mean by disciple-making or discipleship. There is an element of disciple-making that I think a lot of us uh, particularly maybe even around here because we talk about it a lot and hopefully it's happening. I know it's happening in our church. The, the part of disciple making that is a one-on-one or a one-on-two, like it's me spending a lot of time with someone else, pouring my life into them, talking about the, 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 the Bible and teaching them about the Bible and it's a normal, it has a schedule, it's, it's you know kind of a structured kind of deal. That is definitely one way of discipleship and I hope that you will consider that at, at at times in your life and, and all throughout your life? What, is there someone around me that I could really invest in? See, discipleship at its core, at its essence, is just an intentional purpose in the spiritual growth of those around me. It's about intention. It's saying, I'm going to take on the responsibility of the spiritual growth of those people around me. And sometimes that's in a, in a concerted effort, hey, let's meet, let's do that. But sometimes it's less structured. Sometimes it looks completely different. Sometimes it looks like the random or not so random conversation with the neighbor or the coworker who may or may not know of Jesus Christ. Maybe they don't know of Jesus Christ and that, in that moment you have an intentionality. You say, I want to share the gospel with this person or I want to plant a seed. I want to talk about Jesus. I'm taking responsibility for their spiritual growth. That's discipleship. Maybe, like we talked about last week, just being in a classroom here. Maybe you're not the teacher, but you're in there with the little guys or the youth or or the college, and you're just there to intentionally plant seeds and be there for the spiritual growth of someone else. And, And really everything in between, but it's really about intentionality. It's about responsibility that we as the disciples of God would say, we now want to take on the responsibility of caring about the spiritual nature and the spiritual well-being of the people around us. And that's what you see played out in Paul, particularly here in Thessalonians. If you have your Bible open there, 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 2. What we're going to see this morning, what I'd like to do is just add some meat to the bones of last week. This this call to being a disciple maker and, and really being a disciple, which is someone who makes disciples. You cannot separate the two. You cannot be a disciple who isn't intentionally influencing other people. They come together. That's what people who have been changed by the gospel, that's, that's what you do. Okay, that's the nature of the gospel. It's, it goes forth. It goes out. You can't be saying, I'm a disciple and keep it to yourself. It doesn't happen that way. So what I want to do is put meat to that, say, well, what then does the life of the disciple look like? Not necessarily like do's and don'ts and how-to's, but just a general speaking of 
how we are to live as disciple makers. Paul's going to encourage the Thessalonians, both in his own conduct and to to help them see, hey, this is how I lived amongst you. And the, the idea is, this is how I've lived because my life's been radically changed by Jesus, and this is how you should continue to live your life. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. So let's stop right there. So the first thing you see here is Paul just explaining to them, hey guys, you remember, you know that we came and the gospel that we shared, how we lived our lives, everything that we did with you, everything we shared with you, it had a purpose, it had an intent, it had a a cause, and you saw the results of it. We didn't just come and kind of just, you know, mess around with you and be on vacation. No, we came with a purpose. You saw the result of the purpose, even though there was difficulty. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered, if you go back in Acts chapter 16, which last week we talked about Acts chapter 17, which is uh, where Thessalonica comes into play, but right before that, Paul and his uh, and, and uh, Silas are in Philippi, and they go to Philippi, and they initially have some really good results, and people get saved, but then things turn quickly. And basically, the city turns on Paul and Silas, and they just come against them because they cast out a demon from this slave girl, and the people don't like that, and they start making up really lies about Paul and the message that they're sharing. And, and they, they come, the city comes against them and, and beats them and puts them in prison. You may remember the story. They put them in prison. And so here they are in prison. It's the middle of the night, and there's this earthquake and this earthquake happens and the, the, the bars of the jail, like they come off. It says their chains just fall off, which is really pretty cool that an earthquake would make your chains fall off. Like this is clearly God doing something. And so the jailer wakes up and he realizes what's going on. He's like, oh man, I'm going to be in big trouble because I'm in charge of these guys and they're, they're going to be gone and they're going to blame it on me. He's not, probably not really sure what happens. And so he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul's like, wait a second, we're still here. We're all here. And the guy's like apparently freaked out by that, which probably would be. If I were in a jail and, all the, and I was the jailer and all the doors just swung open and the guys didn't do anything, they just kept, you know, twiddling their thumbs or singing or reading or whatever they're doing in jail, I would probably be a little weirded out too. Like, why? Like, if I were in jail and the bars come open, I'm leaving, right? I'm getting out. This is my chance. Clearly, this is from the Lord for me to leave. He's, he's like, oh, no, this is a big trouble. Paul's like, hey, we're here. And thus begins this conversation with Paul and Silas and the jailer, and he gets saved and his whole household, and they wake up the next morning, and Paul goes before the leaders, and they realize that he's really a Roman citizen, and so they hey, listen, let's, you just need to leave the city. So Paul leaves the city, and that's, he, he goes a little further, and he goes down to Thessalonica, and that's where we are. So the people who are happening, probably what is happening here is the people from Philippi have followed Paul to Thessalonica, and they're explaining what's going on uh, to the people here in Thessalonica. And so they have this little issue here. 
And Paul says, listen, even though this happened, even though we were were beaten, this was great difficulty, as you know, we didn't give up. Rather, we were emboldened to speak the gospel of God to you. I love that Paul uses that word emboldened. And Paul says, listen, this crazy stuff happened to us and, and, and it was really difficult and really hard and they really wanted to kill us. But we didn't give up. In fact, it didn't make us quit. It made us all the more bold to share the gospel to you. And here we are being bold and sharing the gospel. But he continues on and I think helps us see because I think when most of us start thinking about evangelism or disciple making or talking about Jesus outside of the walls of the church, the first thing we can think about is fear. Like I'm afraid to do that. Tim, I mean, I want to do that. Yes, God has changed me, but I'm just afraid I mean, I don't think that I would read, I don't read this and hear Paul say necessarily that he's not afraid. I mean, he certainly tells other times he's not afraid to die because he counts death as gain. We understand that. But there's something else here that I think helps Paul live in this boldness. That that gives Paul the confidence to live in such a way in in the difficulties of the, the culture around him. He says, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. So Paul understood the nature of the message that he was sharing with the people. This idea, these words that he uses, it's not from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Paul understood that the gospel that had changed him and that had rescued him was true. It was right and it was pure. And that motivated him, even in the midst of difficulty, to be bold in sharing the gospel. It wasn't about his own strength. It wasn't about his own, like, man, I can do this. It was like, the the gospel is so important. It is so pure. It is so right. It is not meant to deceive. See, these people were saying in Philippi, and probably now in Thessalonica, they were coming to, to the people and saying, Paul is sharing these things to try to convince people to do something that's illegal against the Roman government. He's trying to deceive us to be a people who would, be Ill, who would uh, participate in illegal activity against our kingdom, against our government. And there's no telling what other things they said about Paul. And what Paul knows, what Paul has believed, what Paul has experienced, and what he's learned about the person and the good news of Jesus Christ is that it is pure and it is right. The gospel is not meant to deceive anyone. It's not meant to trick. When we go to share the gospel, we're not, we're not trying to like trick people into becoming a part of this you know, Christian thing so we can have more Christian people. Paul understands that the gospel in its essence is pure. It's not meant to deceive. Paul knows that the gospel itself, we're going to get to his own heart and his own life But the gospel that saves people is the gospel that is true and right. It is the only way that man can receive salvation. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not meant just to give people over here so we can act a certain way and we can all be moral and be really good and stay out of trouble. That's not the gospel that Paul believes in. Paul believes in a gospel that can radically change people. 
in the only gospel that can rescue men from death and bring them back to life, the gospel is where the power is. The gospel is what gives us the courage to share with people because we believe the message that we're sharing can actually change their life. See, when we, when we start living in our fear, it's all about us. Well, I won't have the right answers. I won't, what if they think I'm silly? Well, it's, it's not about that. It's about the message. See, I, I wrestle with this, if I just be honest, every week when I stand before you. It's this continuing wrestle like, I mean, I know all of the right things. It's not about me. But you wrestle with what are they going to think, all of these things. And what you have to, as a preacher, what we have to, as people who are sharing the gospel, we have to come to the reality that says it's not about me. It's about the truth and the reality of the gospel and what it can do to save someone's life. Therefore, I will do whatever it takes, no matter what the consequences may be, like Paul says. I will give my life for the gospel. I will share the gospel. I will help people grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. Because that is what's best and that is what's right and that is what's good for them. That is the only way they can receive salvation. That is the only way they can grow in their knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ. So Paul is not afraid. Rather, he's emboldened by the purity of the message. By the truth of the message. And then he says in verse 4, Instead... Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So God, so Paul starts in sharing about the purity of the message, but then he starts to convince them of the purity of his own heart. Paul says, listen, you guys know that I I came with you and I wasn't trying to to please men. I wasn't trying to be flattering. I wasn't trying to just, it wasn't about me. It wasn't so that I could just get all these people to follow me and have this, this great following and I could be Paul, this great person that everyone talked about. And Paul wasn't worried about the Mediterranean social media climate of the world, right? If I can just get this right tweet, then these people will really think I'm cool. If I can just post that right Instagram picture, like Paul wasn't worried about that. Paul says, listen, I had, I had, you know my motives. My heart was right because I know that God is the one who examines our hearts. I wasn't greedy among you. I didn't seek the glory from other people. Paul came to them in humility. Paul's life was for them. Sharing the gospel was not about his own gain. Living the gospel was not about his own gain so that people would look at him and like him and he could garner up more business. I wonder sometimes if this church thing for us is, for some of us, it's just a way to be a part of a people who will like us. Maybe we can drum up a little business along the way. Our kids and our wife will think we're, yes, we're good, moral, right, and upstanding, but the gospel has really never penetrated our hearts. And really our motives for coming to church or for being religious are really all for our own gain. When I was in college, actually when I was in high school, I drove an 85 Camaro 
is not nearly as cool as it sounds. It was pretty cool, but it barely ran. And uh, I had some problems with it, and my dad was coming to help me. We couldn't figure out what was going on, so we took it to a mechanic. We went to a town uh, near ours. It wasn't our own town because I don't know why, but we went to this other town. And we were looking for a mechanic that we could go to to take the car. And, of course, you know, there was this big sign, and it said something, something, shop. I won't say what it was. And uh, it had the igthus, right? It had the fishy-looking symbol on it, right? So immediately you knew this, this guy must be a Christian man, right? This is, this is a good, I mean, what kind of businessman would put up a, a Christian symbol if he's not really a Christian? Right, so we go in there and we say, hey, this is what's wrong with the car. And he, man, he looks at it for a little while. We leave and we come back and we come back and he starts naming off all of this stuff. And I mean, it's like, I was like, I could buy a new car for what you're asking me to do here. And I, I don't know this guy personally, and I'm not here to, to, you know, run him in the ground, but we took the car later to someone else, and it was, you know, not even close to what he had told us to do, not, not even close, like a quarter of what he was asking us to spend and the business that he was trying to drum up for himself. And we live in this Christian bubble, this Christian, you know, kind of Christian culture here where we live, and it's very easy to put the fishy-looking symbol on our car or on our business cards, Put, put the, you know, the, right, the right Christian Bible quote on our social media stuff and say to the world, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian because it's cool and it's the right thing to do and people will like me here. Paul says, my motives weren't about that at all. It wasn't about being popular or gaining people's attention. No, my motives were pure because of the truth and the purity of the gospel. Then he says in verse 7, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you. As a nursing mother nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day, so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are a witness, and so is God, of how devoutly, Righteously and blamelessly, we conducted ourselves with you as believers. Now, Paul talks about the purity of the message, and then he talks really about the purity of his own heart, and now he moves into the marks or the identifiers of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ here for him in Thessalonica. And he says, I haven't been a burden to you as a disciple. And I don't think he's talking burden here financially because he's going to get to that. I think what he means is burden in a sense in how he dealt with the people. When we think about being disciple makers and dealing with the people's spiritual lives around us, sharing the gospel, helping people develop in our faith. He says, I wasn't a burden. I wasn't, I wasn't harsh. I wasn't this overbearing person in your life. And he contrasts that with, instead, we were gentle among you. Really, that, that term, he says, is in, in, the, there's, in the Greek or in the original text is that he was an infant. We acted, we came as gentle as an infant or as gentle as a nursing mother with an infant. When you think about gentle, I mean, you think about maybe puppies and, you know, baby lambs and, and babies, right? Like they're just so cute and cuddly and gentle, right? You think about nursing moms. Now, I know that can be sometimes a little awkward. Like, if you, you know, it can be a little awkward. 
But if you've ever, you know, had a wife or someone close to you that was a nursing mom and you got to watch that and see that relationship, man, it's so gentle. Even when it's difficult because the mom knows that what's best for the child is that the child nurse and even sometimes the child doesn't want to. But the mom's got to be gentle and patient. I love that Paul uses that. When we're dealing with one another and we're dealing with people and trying to share the gospel that we would be a people who are gentle and patient and loving and caring. So as you know, this is how we were amongst you. We're going to skip eight. We're going to get to that. In verse nine, he says, for you remember our labor and our hardship, brothers. He says, we could have been, uh, he said, you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We preach the God's gospel to you. This is, I think, where he's talking about being a burden financially. Now, for some reason, for whatever reason, when Paul comes, either the Thessalonians they're not able to care for him financially or just, be, just sharing with them, hey, I need you to care for me, might have been a hurdle for them. But we know in the rest of Scripture that it's okay for the apostles to take financial um, support from them. But Paul chooses not to do this. Rather, he says, listen, we worked. We, 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 we had an honest wage. We worked amongst, amongst you. We weren't a burden to you financially. We, we took care of ourselves. You know, when, I, when I think about engaging with people, particularly in this place, but outside of these walls, would they think of me as someone who is an, makes an honest living? I go to work, and I work hard, and I take care of my family, and I do my business, and I conduct myself and my work in an honest way. And that's the mark of a disciple, people who, are honest, hardworking, taking care, you know, not, not mooches. And listen, I know sometimes you fall in hard times, you need a little help. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking by and large as a mark of your life. What people say about you as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you're honest in your working and you, your work ethic, that you, you work hard and you're a good employee. You take care of your home and your house and you, you're hardworking because that reflects on the gospel. We're going to get into that later in Thessalonians. We're not going to spend a lot of time with that. But the idea that, listen, when people see us and see how we work, or they feel like, man, we're a burden. Are you the guy at work or the lady at work that's a burden to the rest of the people? They're all having to pick up all the slack because you won't do your work? Paul says, no, we weren't a burden for you. We came, we worked, we lived amongst you, and we shared the gospel with you. And then he uses these terms in verse 10. You are witnesses so of God how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you as believers. We were devout, we were righteous, and we were blameless. Now Paul is not claiming any, any uh, sign of perfection here. This is not what Paul is saying. He's saying as a characteristic, as a mark of our lives, as disciples amongst you, that the people would say about them that they were devout that they were um, blameless and that they were righteous. They did what was right. They treated people the right way. They followed their own teachings. That's what Paul is saying to them. The things that we taught you and how to live and how to follow Jesus Christ, we lived them out ourselves. 
We were faithful to the gospel that we preached to you. We didn't just come preach it to you and say, hey, this is how you ought to live, but we're going to go live this other way. No, as the characteristic and as the mark of their lives, they were people who were faithful, who were obedient and righteous. They took their sin seriously and they they strived to live faithfully in the sight of God, not to earn salvation, not to earn God's favor, not not to to earn God's uh, uh, approval, but because of what God had done in them, because they wanted to be a light to the people around them, because they wanted to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ with the people around them, because they believed that the truth of what God teaches us is what's best and right for us, that they chose to live this way so the people could see Jesus in them. And then we see in verse 11, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of, the God, of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think about my life, when I think about your life, our lives as disciple makers, this is really what it boils down to, the mission of what God has called us into to encourage and comfort and implore people to walk worthy of God. This is disciple making. And I love that Paul begins this section by saying, as a father with his own children. Because I'm reminded of several things. I'm reminded of the song that we sing, of God being the great good father and how he treats us as his children. That this is what God is doing with us. He is encouraging us and comforting us and imploring us to walk as people have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm also reminded that for me and for the fathers in here and for the parents who have children in our homes, that discipleship starts at home. And so this section will not only make me a better disciple maker, it will make me a better father to my children. Paul says this is the heart, this is the mission of the disciple maker to help people walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Again, not living such a way so that they could receive the kingdom. They've been called into this kingdom. So we're out trying to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that people could come in and experience the kingdom and glory of God, then they could thus live their lives for the glory of God. They could live in a life that is worthy for God, so that people living in their lives worthy for the glory of God. So people would see their lives. They would see all the things that he's already shared, and they would see Jesus. That's how you and I walk worthy of God. We understand that we've been radically changed by the gospel, that when Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth as a sinless man and he took upon him on the cross when he was crucified, he took upon the wrath that was deserving of us. He took all of that for himself so that you and I don't have to experience that and he put on the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. So now that you and I are in the kingdom, we are in his kingdom. We experience the glory of God. We don't live now for our own glory. We live for the glory of God. And so Paul says, this is it. This is the call. Walk worthy of God. If this gospel has changed you and 
and, and rescued you, then the call is to make disciples by living your life, both sharing with your words the gospel of Jesus Christ and living your life in such a way that people would see something different in you. They would see the gospel of Jesus Christ in you. And he says particularly three ways, encourage, comfort, and implore. This is what we're trying to do as disciple makers. We encourage each other in this place. We encourage people who don't know Jesus Christ to know him. We help them in times of difficulty. We comfort them. We comfort them with the gospel. We comfort each other with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we go through difficulty and heartache, and it happens in this place week in and week out, people experiencing difficulties and the pains of sin and broken relationships and all sorts of things, that we come together in disciple-making and comfort one another to see the goodness of God. And then we implore each other. We spur one another on to live for the glory of God because there's a world that needs to see the goodness of Jesus Christ. There's a world that needs to see and experience to be brought in to the kingdom and the glory of God. I think verse 8, I shared this with you last week, is the heart of Paul. I love verse 8. Just for me, it's, it's my life verse because I think it's what's at the heart of Paul and I think Paul's a pretty incredible man of God and it's for me that what I want people to think about me when I get to the end and I'm at my funeral, this is what I would love for people to say about me in the summation of kind of this whole section that they would say we, that Tim was a person who cared so much for people that he was pleased to share not only the gospel but his own life to share his life because you had become dear to him. Are the people in this place and the the people around you at your workplace and in your neighborhoods, whether they know Jesus or they don't know Jesus, do you see them as people who are dearly loved? You care about them. Are they dear to you? You're taking responsibility for their spiritual growth, their spiritual well-being, the spiritual nature of their lives. Certainly sometimes that may come through meeting physical needs and caring for people physically, but because we can care for them physically, we see beyond that to the spiritual need in their lives. Would people say about you that you care? See, I've really wrestled with this in my life, to be honest with you, and I think this is partly why it's my life first, because sometimes I can be very self-centered and very prideful and very arrogant, and my world can revolve around me, and I can live in about a little two-foot circle of my life and not care one iota about the people around me. And I know that to be true because of the times when I struggle with sharing the gospel or just struggle with getting into someone else's life and just planting a seed of the gospel. Caring about them, loving them, caring about what's going on in their lives, being someone that just loves on them and cares about them. We can be so self-centered and arrogant and our faith can become so egotistical. Yes, God saved me and I'm so glad for that. And it ends right there. That's not the gospel of Jesus. 
See, when we're changed and we're radically transformed by the gospel, we start to see the people around us differently. And we know that we need the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ every day, and we see the people around us in the same way, that every one of you need the gospel every day. The people in this city, they need the gospel. We need to be living together in this place in such a way that we can experience the gospel together. We can encourage one another and implore one another and and really comfort one another to live for the gospel. Is that how you feel about this place? When you come into this place week in and week out, are you coming thinking, man, I am ready to give myself to the people of this church. Whatever that means, God, whatever you want from me. I want to help the people in this place love and know and follow Jesus Christ more. Or do you come into this place to just kind of go through the motions and sit in a pew and sing some songs, hear a sermon, hope I can do better this week? It can become all about us. And, and I hope the sermon is right today. I hope we sing all the right songs and I can feel really good. That's not the example that Paul sets with us. That's not the example that Jesus sets for us when he comes and lives on the earth. And it is not what he's asking us to do as his disciples. He's asking us to get in each other's lives. To not only share the gospel with our words, but to also with our lives engage one another and live life together in such a way that we can encourage and comfort and implore one another in the gospel. What about the people at your work or the people in your neighborhood? Are they just more warm bodies that you have to deal with? Are you seeing them through spiritual eyes? People who need the gospel. People who need you to engage in their life and ask them life questions in such a way that you might be able to share with them seeds of the gospel, seeds of the good news of Jesus Christ to bring comfort or encouragement. Students, when you look and you go to school and you think about the mission of being ready to build the kingdom, do you see the people that you go to school with as people who need you to love them and care about them and share the gospel with them and live life with them in such a way that they might see the goodness and see their need for Jesus Christ? We cared so much for you that we were pleased It was a pleasure to share the gospel, to share our lives, because you had become so dear to us.